started last week and we you know, kind of uh, laid the whole groundwork for the book, uh, talked about who James was, the brother of Jesus, and uh, you know, sort of the history of his life. Uh, we don't really have time to go into all of that. Again, if you're curious about that stuff, you can go back and watch that lesson on the church YouTube page. But um, today we're going to continue by looking at this second sort of uh, section of James that we are going to focus in on, which is chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Last week we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Today, 5 through 8. Next week, 9 through, I think, 13 or 14, something like that. And just to kind of give you an idea of where we've been, uh, James in verses 1 through 4, what we looked at last week, is, is all about how to handle trouble when it comes your way. And basically, here's just... Here, here's the, the cliff notes, the Ed's notes on last week's lesson. James says, expect trouble. Don't be surprised when it comes. Trouble comes to everybody. If you live in this world, you've got trouble. That's just part of it. Expect it. Then he goes on. He says, prepare for it. Do the things that the Bible says, the things that Jesus designed his life around, so that when trouble comes, you're as prepared as you possibly can. And then the third thing James says is, once you've done everything you know to do, then you stand before the trouble. And you don't let it, well, you do your best not to let it knock you down, not to uh, let it move you. Um, and the way you do that is by continuing to do the things that you had done to prepare in the first place. So that's James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. When he gets to, to verse 5, James says this. In James chapter 1, this is verses 5 through 8. If you need wisdom... Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea, as blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, for most of my adult life, I have looked at this part of chapter one as sort of like a, a non sequitur. You know, it's like, what is that doing there? You know, it's like he's talking about how to handle trouble in verses one through four. He will talk about how to handle trouble again in verses nine through 15. But here in verses five through eight, all of a sudden he's talking about wisdom and asking God and this concept of being sort of unsettled, living this unstable life. And so it seemed to me like he was kind of changing the subject, like he's jumping back and forth between subjects. And, you know, sometimes preachers will do this. Preachers will, will not exactly the same way. What we will do a lot of times is we'll, we'll want to make a point. And so we'll take a verse out of the middle of a book of the Bible and just kind of pull it out and set it down in front of people and say, here, I want to make this point. When if you go and you look at the context, what you just used in, the, in its context, isn't making the point that you're trying to make at all. Okay, preachers do it all the time. I try my best not to. Every once in a while it happens. I'll give you an example, not from me, but then this is just kind of a silly thing. I was at a, um, a church one time, and uh, I was taken into the, 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 the nursery, you know, the baby room. And there is a changing table with diapers sitting right there, all set up. And on the wall, in front of the changing table, is this scripture right here from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. It says, we will not all sleep, 
so we will all be changed. Right? It's kind of a kind of a humorous way to use the Bible, right? That's Paul's not talking about changing diapers in 1 Corinthians 15. But that's kind of funny, right? I kind of like that. Um, there was another church that I heard of that were trying to be more, um, you know, more practical, more uh, relevant to the people in their community. And there was a church that was sort of aging and they were getting older and the, the, the families all around them were all young families. And so they went out and they, they did a poll in the neighborhood and they asked these young families, what do you need most? And it turned out that what they needed help most with was raising children. And what kept coming back over and over and over was that they needed help with potty training. And so this church was talking about that. They were like, okay, well, we can invite in an expert on potty training. We can have a seminar on potty training. But what are we, how are we going to sort of, uh, you know, justify this with the Bible? And somebody came up with this brilliant idea from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. <laughs> right? Because then when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's like, again... That's not what Proverbs 22 is talking about exactly, but you get the point, right? That's what I thought James is doing here, sort of. It's like he's kind of jumping around, right? It's like trouble, prayer, and wisdom, and then trouble again. But I don't think so anymore. The more I look at it, the more I think that James, the whole thing is talking about how to handle trouble. And wisdom, as it turns out, plays an integral part in how human beings, followers of Jesus, can stand up to the trouble that comes into their lives. Because no matter what you do, you know, you can, the wisdom books of the Bible are all about how to teach us how to make wise choices that will theoretically cut down on the amount of trouble in our lives, at least the trouble that we bring on ourselves. But, you know, there's always the trouble that, other, from other people's decisions, sometimes will splash over into your life. Sometimes trouble isn't anybody's fault at all, right? It's just part of living in this, this broken and sin-infected world. And because of that, there's, there's disease, there's sickness, there's accidents, there's wild animal attacks, there's, there's natural disasters. There's all these things that can bring trouble into our lives. But, you know, I spend a lot of my time trying to say not everything that happens is your fault. But wisdom says sometimes it is. Sometimes we need to look at our own lives and, and see, is there something here that I should be changing? Is there something here that I should do differently? Because if we're not careful, I don't know about you, I can really get myself into some troubling situations. Some of them are funny, some of them aren't. I like the funny ones a lot better. Let's watch this.
Now, sometimes that's the, that's the kind of, you know, we're like, oh, shh, I can't believe I did that, right? And other times, trouble is much, much deeper in our lives. And so, you know, wisdom says, okay, maybe there's something I need to look at in my own life that'll help me to avoid some of those kinds of situations. But no matter what you do, as you could be the wisest person on the face of the planet, there will still be trouble in your life. And so James says, when that time comes, and, and James has already told us, okay, when that, comes, that time comes, then you stand. This is part of what you do while you're standing, okay? While you are, um, I don't know if I want to say resisting the trouble, but while you are standing before it, you ask God for wisdom because wisdom, as it turns out, plays a huge role in how well we do or don't handle trouble. Okay, I'll put that, I'll put it that way. See, trouble is mandatory. You're, no matter what, you're going to have trouble. How much you suffer or how much life becomes insufferable, that's what this is all about. It's how do you handle it? How do you look at it? Wisdom of the world has one way of looking at it. God's wisdom has another way. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, well, actually, the first three chapters are all about this contrasting that Paul does between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And he's constantly saying they, they just don't understand each other. He sums it all up in 3.19, says the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. But he's also said it several times throughout the first three chapters, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. It just doesn't make any sense. We look at it, we're like, that doesn't seem like it'd work. And what James is constantly saying is you need to understand this, though. You need to ask God for wisdom because it will get you through the toughest times in your life. So why does the wisdom of God help us when it comes to trouble? And there are a couple of reasons. Number one, it reminds me of reality, okay? It reminds me of the way things really are. That's God's wisdom, okay? Um, it kind of reminds me uh, of The Matrix. I don't know if you ever saw the first one, but the first one is like everybody's living in this matrix. It's this illusion, but it's an incredibly compelling one, right? And the whole movie is about trying to get people to see no, you are living in an illusion. There's a whole nother reality out there that is, that is the real reality that you just don't see. And James says the same thing about us. We already looked at it, but in James 1 verse 5, he says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Now, why do we need that wisdom? Because the reality of this world says things like, this shouldn't be happening to me. Right? And we would all love it if things that happened to us didn't happen to us. But the reality is, you start looking around, you start to realize, like, we, looked, we, did, we spent the last couple of weeks looking at this. The writers of the Bible unanimously keep trumpeting this concept. Trouble is in this world. If you are in this world, you are going to have trouble. Don't be surprised when trouble comes your way. And yet what the wisdom of this world says is this is unfair. This isn't right. And you know, that's the thing about this world. It's not fair. As a matter of fact, life has never been fair. Before Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the garden and, and brought all the sin and the brokenness of the world in here, life was so unfair in a good way, right? They didn't have to do anything. They, 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 everything was perfect. It was completely unfair. And that's where we're headed, too. We are headed to a place in heaven where life will be completely unfair. 
in a good way. Now we live in a world where when we say it's not fair, it's usually because something bad is happening. But this, that's the matrix, right? It's not that the bad stuff isn't happening to you. It's just that it's, that's not true reality. True reality is up in heaven. And, and when we start to see the world through God's eyes, how things are now, but how things are not supposed to be this way and how they won't always be this way, that will help us to get through the trouble that comes our way. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world standard, you need to become a fool to become truly wise. What's he talking about? He's talking about seeing the world through God's eyes. And the, the rest of the world will look at you and say, you're crazy. Life can never work that way. You, could never, you can never survive that way. And what Paul is saying is, you say, yeah, I know it looks crazy. It doesn't make sense to me either. But when I tried it, it got me through things I never would have dreamed I was able to get through. And so you, that's one reason why this concept of God's wisdom helps us with trouble. It helps us to get through things we never would have dreamed that we had the ability, the strength to get through. Because we didn't. We got it by kind of looking at God's reality. The wisdom helps us to get into it. John 18, verse 37, Jesus says, For this reason I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. In other words, he says, I came to talk about reality. I came to show what real reality is. Uh, the whole time that Jesus walked this earth, basically all he did was say, what you are seeing now is, that's the illusion. People were not made to be hungry, to be well, starving. People weren't made to be left in isolation. There, you know, prejudice and, and, and hate and sickness and disease and, and heartbreak. Those things, you weren't made for those things. You know, we ask the question, why is this happening? We struggle with the trouble that's in our lives. And we say the words, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And that last one is a true statement. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You weren't made to live in this reality. You were made to live in another one. That's why you struggle so much with the reality that we are in right now. Because it's not supposed to be that. People are not supposed to hurt each other. People are not supposed to be impacted by sickness and disease and all these other things that bring all of this trouble into our lives. And Paul says, well, James says, you need to ask for God's wisdom so you can see this other reality. It doesn't take you out of this matrix that we're living in, unfortunately. But when Jesus was here, he spent most of his energy trying to show us this is not reality. I was taught growing up, that the definition of a miracle was when Jesus would, well, here, here's the definition of a miracle. It is the temporary suspension of reality. That's what I taught a miracle was. I was taught that a miracle was. But the more I read through the Bible and the more I understand this stuff, the more I think, no, that's wrong. A miracle is not a temporary suspension of reality. It is a temporary reinstatement of reality. It's like Jesus says that there's this shroud of illusion that covers this earth. And it brings sickness and disease and heartbreak and isolation and prejudice and, 
and all of these different things. And Jesus, as he walked through this world, wherever he went, it was like he was poking holes in this shroud of illusion and letting the light of reality onto this earth and saying, you want to know? You want to know what the natural order of things is? You look back to the Garden of Eden where nobody was alone. Nobody was lonely. Nobody was sick. Nobody was, was hurting. Nobody, that, that's reality. You want to know reality? You look forward to heaven where all of that stuff will be reinstated. What you're in now is a matrix. There's an illusion. It's a really compelling one. It is a, sometimes a really painful one. But when he would come across somebody who was dead, he would, he would poke a hole in that shroud of, of, of illusion and say, this is reality. Resurrected. Somebody's sick, he would poke a hole, shine some light down there, healed. This is reality. People say, well, why didn't he do that for all of us? Well, you know, he's fixed it so that eventually we will be back in that reality again. But until that time, we need wisdom to see what's going on, to see that what we're in is this sort of a matrix so that we can realize what we're experiencing now is not forever. Right? The word secular, the word secular, what it literally means is now. That's what the, it comes from the Latin word for now. And the secular viewpoint is now is all there is. That's it. So if you lose something now, that's it. You've lost it forever. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. No, this life that we're living here now is just the beginning of the beginning. What, what you lose here, you will get back. What, what you never get here, you will eventually get. That's Jesus's message. And wisdom like that will help you to get through whatever it is that you're going through. Second uh, reason, oh no, I need to get to the, the video clip, don't I? I did this last night too. Um, now let's just watch it together. Come on, fun guy. I do pranks. Uh, CC's last wedding, the badger that fell down and almost killed a bunch of people, that was me. <laughs> I'm Frank Sinatra, baby. Oh, brown eyes. Ain't no prank like a badger prank, because a badger prank got badgers in this dangerous... Just let me ask you something. Uh, I'm a fun guy, right? I mean, I have a way about me. Listen, look at me. Look around. Does your thing seem important now? You're the carport hero. Now I need your help. No more carport hero. Tonight, I'm Frank Sinatra. No, no, you didn't play a prank. You are the worst prankster in the world. Every prank you do turns out either too big. What is that? Did you register me as a sex offender? <laughs> How'd this blueberry get in here? <laughs> Woo! You should have saw your face! He did not see that coming. Just like no one's gonna see what's coming tonight. Nothing should be coming tonight. I'm sorry, Jess. The fuse has already been lit. The lion has spotted the gazelle. The doo-doo is already mid-flight to the fan. The silly hounds have been released. I repeat, the silly hounds have been released. What did you do? You know what? Never mind. Just take me to CC and Schmidt, please. I did a prank. I did a... Oh. You have my blessing. You have my blessing, too. Mine, too. Oh, come on. Not Cece's mom, that would have been awesome. It was a natural three. You gotta finish.
she's gonna get hers. No, no, Winston, no, what did you do? No prints. Such bad time. Hey, Mrs. Perry, check your shoes. Check a wood. <laughs> I put a feather in your shoe. <laughs> too small, dude. Way too small. some of that trouble on himself, didn't he, right? Your wisdom would have taught him to avoid that. But, but that's the thing. Trouble, when it comes our way, it can either be so small, we think, oh, I don't need any help, help to handle this, or it's so huge, it just feels like there's nothing that can ever pick us back up. And James says, the more you rely on God's wisdom, the better you will be able to stand before whatever trouble comes your way. So the first thing is because it reminds me of reality. The second one is it reminds me I'm not home, okay? Like I said earlier, you weren't made for this matrix sort of thing. You weren't made for this world. You were made for a world where, where pain and heartache and suffering are not a part of a person's existence. But because of our own choices to to go our own way because of the sin that brings so much of this trouble into the world. This is, this is where we spend the beginning of the beginning, I guess you could say, of our existence. And what Jesus is constantly saying as he goes throughout this world is, this is not all there is. There is another place that is waiting for you. Let's jump down to uh, John chapter 14, Greg, where Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you, or would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And the fact that that's where Jesus is now makes our hearts ache to be there. Okay? You were created for God. And until we are kind of reunited with them, we're constantly asking ourselves, how can this be where I'm supposed to be? How can this... The song that we listen to during communion, I love that song, Blessings by Laura Story, and it's filled with wisdom, okay, with God's wisdom. But there are two places, at almost to the end of that song, that every time I see them, they strike me. One of them, it says this, it says, when friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know the pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. And then she says a little bit later, she says, what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is a revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And you see this over and over and over throughout the pages of the Bible. I feel, well, the Bible is, is constantly saying you are aliens in a foreign land. You are travelers on a journey, and this is not your destination, right? And so when you start to feel like this, this can't be the way it's supposed to be, what the Bible would say is, you're right. It is the way that it is, unfortunately, but it is not the way that it is supposed to be. 
That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, right? You, you don't live so much as a citizen of this world. You're, you're a traveler going through this world. You're trying to, to, to grow, to, to prepare yourself for whatever trouble comes your way and to help other people when trouble comes their way. But the best way you can do that is by, by reminding yourself this world isn't my home. And the pain that comes is just, it's, it's a reminder that there's this deeper thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy. Okay, finally, number three. God's wisdom reminds me to focus on Jesus. To focus on him. Two quick stories. Um, the first one is about a time when Jesus was walking on water. And his friend, Peter, sees him. And he says, now I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but this is basically what happens, right? Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. He says, that looks cool. Can I do that too? And Jesus says, sure, come on ahead. And before anybody could stop him, before Peter could even think about it, he jumps out of the boat, and for a couple of seconds, he is walking on water. And then, the Bible says, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. It says, he looks and sees the waves and the storm. And when he sees that, he sinks like a rock. And Jesus helps him, gets back into the boat. But what I want you to focus on today is, as long as Peter had his eyes on Jesus, he was doing it. He was walking on water. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he sank like a rock. Second story. Stephen, who was a, a disciple, um, the first Christian to lose his life because of his faith. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 7. He is uh, hauled out by the, uh, the, the Jewish ruling council, and he is thrown into a pit, and they are getting ready to just rain rocks down upon him. Now, I don't know how you would handle that moment, but look at what the Bible says about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. See, he sees this other reality. He sees this other home. He says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. How does somebody handle that kind of trouble that way? I think it all goes back to the first thing that we read in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. It says, he looked up and he saw Jesus. And he kept his focus there. It doesn't say that while he was sitting there worrying about the trouble that Jesus dropped down in front of him was like, whoa, whoa, Stephen, Right, right here. Keep, it doesn't say that, okay? That doesn't happen. What happens is Stephen looks for his lifeline. He looks up and then he sees. That's what the Bible says. He looks up and then he sees. With Peter, the opposite. He's seeing Jesus and then he looks at the trouble and he sinks like a rock. Stephen looks up. He looks beyond the trouble. He looks up at Jesus. He spots him. He keeps that, he keeps that focus and it allows him to do something that I don't know if I could do. And our only hope with any of this is to keep our focus on him, okay? The more you are able to do that, the less sway trouble of any kind will have in your life. Is it easy? Mm -mm. Is it natural? 
to take your eyes off of Jesus and focus on the trouble that we find ourselves in? Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard not to. And I find myself going back and forth all the time. But here's the lesson, okay? Here's what James says. If you need wisdom, then ask God. And he'll give it to you. But when he goes through that whole thing about, but you know, do not waver because if you are, you know, if your loyalties are divided, you're unstable. I used to think that was God saying, if you don't just focus on my son, then I'm going to take my toys and go home and you're not going to get anything from me. That's what I used to think it was kind of saying. I was like, wow, that sounds kind of insecure, you know, on God's part. Like, you know, that's not, that's not what he's saying. What James is saying is, is that to the extent that you are able to live in God's reality, trouble will have less and less of a hold on your life. To the extent that you try to hold on to both realities, your life is going to be so unstable that no matter what God pours into your life, you're not going to be able to hold on to it. So this is not a, uh, like, you know, ooh, you better watch out, you better be careful. You know, th that's not what this is about. This is about there is help for you available. There is another reality. You were not built for this, no matter what you are going through now. You were not, it, that, it is not supposed to be that way. It is that way now. It is not that way forever. There is another reality awaiting you. And when you get there, St. Teresa of Avila, we're going to finish with this. St. Teresa of Avila said, in the light of heaven, when you get to heaven and you are in heaven, she said, the worst troubles that you go through on earth the worst troubled life that a person has ever gone through on earth will seem like nothing more than a bad night stay at an inconvenient hotel. I hope that's right. I believe that it's right. If you need wisdom, ask God for it. Let's ask him now. Lord, help us to remember that the, the pain and the disappointment in our lives are just a reminder of a deeper thirst. This world could never satisfy. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to your reality. We look to this home that Jesus is preparing for us. And Lord, remind us always to keep our eyes on your son. In his name we pray.